Today, the FOMC raised our policy interest rate by a half percentage point. That was predicted. Most people knew that they were going to raise interest rates in this meeting, and investors expected them to raise it by 0.5%. But this next part, this next line out of Jerome Powell's mouth, is what is unexpected. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. He didn't just raise interest rates in this meeting by half a percentage point. He's forecasting in the future, next year, that they're still going to raise interest rates. We're not done. The pivot hasn't happened. And investors are waiting for that pivot, that magical moment when the Fed says, we no longer feel we have to raise interest rates. We're at the target rate range. We're going to hold steady here. Jerome Powell's bursting a lot of people's bubbles and saying that we're not there yet. So we're going to look into this. And later on in this episode, we're going to be diving in to both what Jerome Powell is arguing as the reason that interest rates need to continue to go up. And we'll have the counter argument as well. We have Jeremy Siegel here that says inflation is a non-issue anymore. It's basically done. And he says that the Fed Jerome Powell are making a huge mistake that could have dire consequences on the economy. So we have two very different opinions here. So far, Jeremy Siegel has been spot on with his predictions and the way inflation has been behaving. So we'll be looking over all of this. Now, we also have news that Elon Musk was booed for the first time in public at a Dave Chappelle show, which is a little bit surprising. This seems like an audience that would like Elon Musk. I'll give my thoughts on this. We have lawmakers trying to ban TikTok within the US. And we have Sam Bankman-Fried being officially charged with criminal fraud and conspiracy. So obviously we have a lot of news to get to. Let's go ahead and jump in with a portfolio update. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. As you know, we do things real here. I show my money real money invested into this portfolio, and I give updates week by week so you can see it with complete transparency. Now, the portfolio has gotten to $387,000 in total value, with $48,400 of that being gains. What's happened is if I filter by the year to date, if we're looking at just this year, and we look at the performance here, there's a couple companies that have really done fantastic this year, and they happen to be a couple of my largest holdings. There's three companies in particular. The first one's Vici. In a year where the S&P 500 is down 16%, Vici is up $11,400. So that is incredibly good performance relative to the benchmark. And I've tried to share the Vici thesis with you. I've tried to explain over and over again why I love this company so much. I made video after video after video about it, and I still love Vici. I still think it's a great company at a reasonable valuation. But now it's gotten to the point where it's up 15% year to date without dividends being reinvested, which this company paid a 7% dividend at the beginning of the year. So it's really up around 20% if you factor in reinvested dividends. So this is one of the companies that I'm the most proud of in terms of doing research, having a thesis, and seeing that thesis play out really well. The next two companies that I think have done particularly well this year are in the restaurant category. I made predictions late last year 
that restaurants and food companies in general would do particularly well. I have a watch list where I look at all of these companies. I track them on a daily basis. It's a category that I think is very interesting. A lot of people focus on the negatives of restaurants, that there's a lot of competition and that their product is a commodity. But there's also big positives with food. Everyone needs to eat. They need to eat every single day. There is endless continual demand for good food. And Texas Roadhouse is one of those companies that I've had on the back burners for a while. I've wanted to invest in this company for a long period of time. It is one of a kind in the restaurant category. And I've done in-depth thesis. I've done analysis on this company in particular as well that you can look at. This company's up around 9% year to date, not factoring in dividends, which Texas Roadhouse is a big dividend payer. So we have around an 11% total return year to date. And keep in mind, I didn't just buy this company at the beginning of the year, I bought it during the dip this year when it was trading down into the 70s. Once it got that cheap, I thought the company was a buy and that one has really helped out the portfolio. And then lastly, with a similar thesis, we have Starbucks here. The big thing that's helped my performance is simply buying the company once it traded down. I started buying it in the low 90s. I continue to increase my position into the 80s and into the 70s. The reason that I'm in the green on this holding is a combination of the dividends that it pays and the fact that I was buying it in this range. So those three companies have really helped out the relative performance of my portfolio. It's the reason that I'm only down 10% compared to the benchmarks 15 or 16%. But overall, I'm very happy with the performance of this portfolio. I think it's done good so far. And I love the fact that I can sit back with every one of my holdings and watch these dividends roll in. The latest one that I got was on the 12th from Target. I got $21 from SCHD, that Schwab US Dividend Equity ETF. I got $492 paid in dividends. That's money that goes right into my cash balance and I can use it to reinvest into any stock I want. Now, moving on from the portfolio, we have to jump into this news about the federal funds rate going up a half percentage. And before we actually get into them, talk about the interest rates themselves, listen to them talk about the actual economy slowing down. The U.S. economy has slowed significantly from last year's rapid pace. Although real GDP rose at a pace of 2.9% last quarter, it is roughly unchanged through the first three quarters of this year. Recent indicators point to modest growth of spending and production this quarter. Growth in consumer spending has slowed from last year's rapid pace, in part reflecting lower real disposable income and tighter financial conditions. Activity in the housing sector has weakened significantly, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. Higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment. So basically, Jerome Powell goes in in his opening statement and outlines how everything in the economy is moving in the wrong direction. Consumers are spending less money. Companies are doing less investments. The housing market has come to a complete grinding halt. But then he goes on to repeat that we have to become far more restrictive than we currently are. He emphasizes how much more restrictive it's going to be. I would say it's our judgment today that we're not at a sufficiently restrictive policy stance yet, which is why we say that we would expect uh, that ongoing hikes would be appropriate. And I would point you to the SEP again for uh, our current assessment of what of what that peak level will be. Uh, as you as you will have seen, uh, 19 people filled out the uh, the SEP this time, and. Uh, uh, 17 of those 19 wrote down a, a peak rate of 5% or more in the fives. Right now with this most recent interest rate hike factored in, we're at 425 to 4.5%. 
So we're right there in the fours and we're going 1% higher over the next year. And this is why the market's selling off. It's more tight than investors were expecting, especially with the great CPI report we just got yesterday. Inflation did come down quicker than expected, but that's not really translating to the Fed. It's like they're not taking into account the new inflation data. They're just going on this similar track that they've been on the entire time. So we know the Fed is not done, but he also goes on to outline the duration of keeping interest rates this high. At a certain point, though, that we'll get to that point, and, and then the question will be how long do we stay there? And there, there the, uh, uh, the strong view on the committee is that we'll need to stay there you know, until we're really confident that inflation is coming down in a sustained way. And we think that that will be some time. So as I was watching this meeting and listening to Jerome Powell, I was basically reminded of all the predictions that the Fed is continually behind the curve. They're always working with older data and they're making decisions based on older data. We've seen them do this over and over. And one individual in particular has been very vocal in calling the Fed out for this. And that individual is Jeremy Siegel. He hasn't only been a vocal critic of the Fed. He's completely roasted their decisions over the past year, calling them out for working with stale old data, calling them out for being entirely too restrictive, and so far his predictions have been pretty spot on. He's been very accurate with this take on inflation. This interview by Jeremy Siegel was recorded yesterday, and listen to what he predicts, what the Fed does, and how he sees this playing out. Because once again, he completely nails it. He first talks about the CPI report and his reaction to that. I, I, think, I think it was very good news, and I think it's very much what, what I've been saying to you and, and others for the last two or three months, I would like to comment on that service portion. Um, th listen, the housing at plus 0.6% is a nonsensical number. Uh, is, is actually a bogus number, if you want to know my, uh, my opinion. Uh, if we get any rental index, uh, apartment list, Zillow, if we get any housing index, case or the federal index, those are going down. Tell me what core inflation is. I'll tell you what it is. It's negative. It's negative now. It was negative next month. It's uh, it, it will be negative next month. And it's actually been negative for the last two months. So if the Fed stops looking at stale housing data, and I don't know why they don't, they would actually realize that inflation is, as I said a month ago, over. His reaction to the CPI report yesterday is once again that inflation is over. And his predictions of it continually going down month after month have so far been entirely correct. But this next part, he talks about his predictions of the Fed meeting that we had just an hour ago. Whether they recognize that, I, I don't really know. I already think they're in overly restrictive territory. I think this should be the last hike. I actually think that they will see data early next year that will uh, prompt them not to do any increases. And as Josh said, the next discussion of the Fed is when should we lower rates? This is the complete opposite of what the Fed is doing right now. Instead of having discussions of when to lower interest rates, they're saying they're going to have to take it up another percentage point and maybe keep it there for a year or so until inflation comes plummeting back down to 2%. And Jeremy also predicts that this is the actions of the Fed, even though it's the incorrect actions. Now, the dot plot tomorrow won't show that. The dot plot will show they'll do 50. It'll show another 25 or 50 or 25 going on and holding for next year. Uh -huh. but, but let's be honest. Does the Fed know what it's going to do next year? Not at all. There is no evidence that the Fed's dot plot 
has any predictive power on what they're going to do. So they can say what they're going to say, but the data is going to completely dictate what actions they take. And Jeremy once again called it. The Fed did their thing with their 50 basis point interest rate, with their hawkish tone, with the dot plot going way up into the five percentage points. And he says that that doesn't matter. The data from the actual economy coming out in the next three months is what's going to dictate their policy and not their prognostications about the future. So I'm much more inclined to actually believe Jeremy Siegel's take here. I think that inflation is coming down steadily. I've been on the side where I think inflation is coming down steadily for a long period of time. And I think eventually the Fed will have to pivot. It'll force their hand. Inflation is coming down, the economy's slowing, and they can only hold in restrictive territory for so long until they're forced to ease up. So I personally don't believe that the Fed is going to end up raising interest rates as much as they're forecasting right now. Now moving on, we have some Tesla news. The stock is doing terrible. It's down 60% year to date. 60% is a massive drop, even for a volatile company like Tesla. That is a lot. Elon Musk was also just recently publicly booed at a Dave Chappelle comedy show. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. There's some cheering and some clapping in there, but there's a lot of booing. And that was a first for Elon Musk. This is the first time I've ever seen him get publicly booed. And no matter how much Tesla investors may want to be reluctant to admit it, Elon Musk is becoming more and more unfavorably viewed, mostly because of his activity on Twitter. Tesla's approval rating has sunk into negative territory. People that were previously planning on buying Teslas are literally deciding not to buy one anymore because of what Elon Musk is doing on Twitter. He's become extremely politically divisive. Even for him, he's moved this up a notch to now where he's fighting almost every political battle you can fight. And not only that, he's also reportedly not paying the Twitter offices their rent. He also just recently went back on his word suspending the account that tracks his private jet when he previously made a big deal about not doing just that. This is a concern that I've had for a long period of time with Tesla. For a time period, Tesla was the coolest thing you could possibly own. Everybody on social media, all the big YouTubers going out and buying Teslas, showing their garage of mini Teslas, showing them standing in front of their Teslas. Tesla was a huge status symbol, but there's warning signs that this may have come to an end. December 17th of 2021, the information published an article saying, quote, Tesla is not as cool as it used to be. This is a warning about the future. With rival electric vehicles flooding the market, and the CEO's antics wearing thin, Silicon Valley buyers are starting to turn on Tesla. Again, this article was published late last year, and the antics from the CEO have been far more divisive since then. So I think Tesla investors at least need to understand the mechanics of why this company has done so good historically and what will cause it to do well in the future. Tesla is a premium brand. It has high margins, much higher than the rest of the industry, and those high margins are because it has high demand. They can charge a lot for their vehicles because so far people have wanted to buy their vehicles above the competition. But that's driven in part by the brand value. If Elon Musk goes out of his way to unravel and undo everything that he's set up for the past five years and to destroy the equity, the brand value, and the franchise value of Tesla, the margins will come down. They'll not be able to charge the same premium that they used to. 
So even though the company on paper right now is cheap as it's ever been, it's still priced at a premium, a 33 earnings multiple of next year. And this is an industry, again, if Elon Musk really continues to go down this route, customers are not gonna pay a premium for a vehicle that loses its status symbol. So as of right now, even though the stock is technically the cheapest it's been over the past couple of years, it's still not in a situation where I think it's a screaming buy. I still think it's a risky company to own. And I think the biggest problem that Tesla investors are facing right now overall is social media. Social media is difficult. TikTok is a company that wants to operate in the US. Since it's Chinese owned, the US is looking at actually banning it. Mark Zuckerberg has faced so many scandals and so many problems running Facebook that they're basically endless. And I likewise think the problems with Twitter are gonna be ongoing. Every problem that happens, Elon Musk is going to be blamed. So as of right now, I don't have much of an interest to jump in Tesla. I have a lot of other companies that I think the story is far more clear. Now, finally, we have the news that Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested. And ironically, this is one of the few times that we've seen him wear a suit. Most of the time, he's, he's sporting his, his T-shirt, his shorts, and his flip-flops. But he was arrested wearing an actual suit coat, and there he is being detained by the Bahamian police. We also had the actual indictment, the charges being brought against him yesterday. He's being charged with a lot of things. There's a lot of complaints against him, but there's a couple of them that are the biggest ones, the criminal complaints. First of all, he was charged with misleading investors and lenders. Basically, what he did to the investors in his company is he said, hey, you want to invest in FTX? And they said, well, give us some information about your company. And he would provide them with information that was knowingly false. It was completely false information about the safety, about the protocols, about the risk assessment, about the financial situation, about his relationship. All the information he was providing to potential investors was false. And that's something right there that can get you thrown in jail for a long time. This one charge that doesn't even have to do with customers, it has nothing to do with customers, just investors, this is enough to put you in jail for like 10 years or more. We have Elizabeth Holmes, getting charged with a lot of charges of just misleading investors. But Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, is being charged also with misleading the customer. Prosecutors allege that he took FTX.com customers' money to pay expenses and debts of Alameda Research. This is simply a misappropriation of funds. It's highly illegal. Anytime you take someone's deposits and you do something different with those deposits than you tell the customer you're going to do, that is illegal, is misappropriation of funds. So that's another criminal charge for Sam Bankman-Fried. And then finally, we have him being charged as well with conspiring to defraud the U.S. and violating campaign finance rules by making illegal political contributions. This one was one that I was a little bit surprised of. It was a bit of a curveball. I knew that he would likely be charged with misappropriation of funds, misleading investors. That stuff seemed obvious, but he also just made illegal campaign donations. Now, I tried to look up different cases of people that have gone to prison, actual prison time, for illegal campaign contributions or misappropriation of campaign funds. And there are some cases. There is Denise DeSouza. He was sentenced in Manhattan to a federal court for five years on probation. But what he did from what I can read here seems like it's not even close to what Sam Bankman-Fried did. What Sam Bankman-Fried did, just in terms of the scale of his illegal political contributions, are orders of magnitude bigger than anything that I've found, any other case that's relatable to it. So I don't know what this type of prison sentence will carry. I don't know if this is going to be a big one, but it's one more thing that Sam's facing. So we'll see what happens with this. In my opinion, I think it's clear as day that he's going to prison. I don't know how long, but I would assume over five to seven years at a minimum. I think anything less than that 
and people will riot. I think people will be furious if he was able to concoct this scheme, able to be this careless with other people's money, and he doesn't face any prison time. So my prediction is he gets found guilty of a lot of this stuff and he spends a very long time in prison. We'll have to wait to see for sure. Maybe he'll get out of it, but I think that's incredibly unlikely. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. I'll have more updates on my investment strategies, and I have another video coming out that I think you'll enjoy. It's related to the one where companies earn money in a lot of different ways. I'm gonna be diving into one of those specific ways, which is buybacks. I think it'll be a very revealing, insightful episode. So I look forward to seeing you in the next one.